quit being the world's best kept secret. Your time is now. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another show of the Millionaire Woman Show, where we have guests from around the globe inspiring, educating you, and motivating you to live your best life rich from the inside out. Today's guest I met at the New Media Summit with Steve Ulsher in September of 2019. Michael Neely is a mentor, business strategist for visionary solopreneurs. He is a former professional actor and medieval knight, an author and speaker, and he hosts and podcasts Consciously Speaking by This, Not That, Something to Whine About, and The PodQuest Show. As the founder of the Authority Academy, Michael trains and supports heart-centered entrepreneurs in professional speaking, virtual summits, getting published, and designing and hosting their own podcasts to massively grow their business and expand their audience. Michael is also known as a mindset master with a gift of helping people get out of their own way. And if you're tired of being the best kept secret, Michael is your guy. You can learn more about Michael at michaelneely.com or at yourauthorityblueprint.com, and I will have these in the show notes as well. Please welcome Michael Neely to the show. Woohoo! Hey. I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> me too, Deborah. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm excited to share some time with you. Well, I'm going to start off because, you know, being a professional actor and really a medieval knight, and now <laughs> you're a business mentor and podcast host. How did you make this transition happen? I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> it, it was actually kind of wild. I was still acting in Los Angeles in 2002 when my son was born. And at that point, if anybody knows anything about the world of acting, you understand that unless you're an A-list actor, it's hills and valleys. You might work one month and make decent money, but then not work for three months while you're trying to book your next job. And so I felt like that wasn't really a good way to raise a child and plus the smog of LA. So we left LA in 2004 and came up to Santa Cruz, California, where the air is nice and clean. And I, quite honestly, I floundered for a while. I did various jobs. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a while as a sales executive. I worked in uh, media advertising for a while. I started a high tech uh, company where we invented devices to support law enforcement. So I kind of did a whole bunch of different things before I really rediscovered what my purpose was and got back into action. And that's when I became a podcast host and a coach and mentor to other people. So how did you discover your purpose? I know many people listening and viewing this podcast, there could be some people who feel lost, wondering, and maybe floundering like you said you were. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was really a matter of a little bit of circumstance, but also a lot of continual review and inner work, thinking about what is it that really lights me up? What do I enjoy the most? And quite honestly, while I had the high-tech startup company and I was making good money, it was not really a passion of mine. As a matter of fact, part of it, it felt like I was just chasing the dollar. 
And fortunately, uh, what happened was, or unfortunately, however you want to frame it, we ran out of money. The investors that we had gotten on board, uh, we could not, they, they did not have any more that they wanted to put into the company. And we hit the end of our financial runway before the product took off. And so it was at that point that I kind of had to lay myself off. And fortunately, uh, I had been coaching people on the side uh, using a lot of the expertise that I had built around personal development. And then it was at one point I was interviewing or not interviewing, sorry, so much podcasting in my mind now, but I was working with a client on having some breakthroughs and it, he was really making some advancements. And so I said, do you mind if we record this? And he was fine with it. So we recorded it. And at the end, we played it back. And he said, dude, that sounds really good. You should start a podcast. And this was in 2014. And I didn't even know what a podcast was. I'd heard the word, but didn't, never listened to one in my life. Didn't know how they worked. Well, two weeks later, I launched. And then my world started shifting. And as I started to really find like, oh, yeah, this is my purpose. And it's just evolved from there. So what does it feel like? to know your purpose? It, it feels really amazing. Uh, but my first one, of course, as an actor, I mean, I knew I wanted to be an actor since I was in fourth grade. And once I stopped acting, it literally felt like an identity crisis. Like, well, if I'm not an actor, who am I? And so now having found my purpose again, and, and maybe part of this comes with maturity, you know, as we get older, we realize, okay, what do I want to leave behind? What do I want to bestow upon my children, upon the planet, if anything? You know, what difference do I want to make? And so then dialing that in, you know, it just feels rewarding. It makes me want to get up every morning. It really keeps me motivated and, and happy. When you think of your journey, Michael, thinking about, you know, going from actor, I still need to know about the medieval night and <laughs> becoming an author and podcast host. What do you notice as the golden thread that was leading to you to where you are today? I think for me, the, the golden thread has and always probably will be about, uh, for lack of a better word, just ontology, which is the study of human beingness. It's like, how are we being in the world? And I started that early, even in my acting career, I used part of it was how I would develop a character for a film or a play that I was in. It's like, well, how can I dig deep into the psyche of this character? And in doing so, of course, digging into my own psyche, why do we do things the way that we do? And so more and more, I've explored that and taken lots of trainings with everybody from Tony Robbins and David Data and Landmark Education and Gay and Katie Hendricks. I mean, I've done so much personal development work through that, that that's the common thread. And that, of course, is what also influences my coaching with people to help them get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. And even in my show, Consciously Speaking, it's about how can we wake up the planet to more awareness, more mindfulness and consciousness about how we're being in the world. And there's so many things going on in the world. I know at the time of this recording, you know, people are concerned about a pandemic, but also that at any point in time, there's some struggle, potentially some resistance. And as you said, getting in our own way. When you think about, and, and 
when you talk about being, I know we get so focused on the tasks of doing. How can people shift from the doing to being more of that being person and really getting their mindset in the right space? Yeah. Yeah, that is a challenge, isn't it, Deborah? I mean, we often were more like human doings instead of human beings. And when we really look at, you know, how we are in the world, that beingness, I think one of the things that is detrimental is when we define ourselves so frequently by what it is we do. You know, I am an architect or I am an actor. Like I said, I identified as an actor for so many years. And I think the shift to the beingness is when we really start to look inward with a, a higher awareness of like, how am I being in the world? And we look for evidence of how does that come across? What do my friends think of me? I'm sure many of your uh, listeners have heard of the 360 degree interview type of work that's out there to really look at, you know, I recommend interviewing your friends. Ask them how they truly see you as, you know, what you provide to the world. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And in doing so, we can really start to look more at, huh, is this really the way that I want to be in the world and make that shift? So let's say we have someone who sees themselves as an executive or someone with a successful business. How do you incorporate that being piece into the coaching you do with your clients? Yeah, I, I recommend, I mean, this is just the way that I, I work and it's certainly not going to work for everybody because some people are really attached to the doing and the identity of what that is. They have it mean so much about them and the ego gets in the way. And so the first thing that I like to do is try to help people get the ego out of the way. If you stop to identify so much like, you know, the type of car that we drive is an example. There are people who have to drive a flashy car because of what that says about them. And it's so ego-based. And at the same time, you know, there are people out there who have much. I mean, let's use uh, William Buffett um, as an example. Is it Warren? Sorry, Warren Buffett. Uh, as an example, um, he has, he's a billionaire but he still lives in the same home that he's had since the fifties and he doesn't drive a fancy flashy car. He doesn't need that outward expression to reflect on who he is. And so anytime I work with a client, I try to help them to separate if that's an issue. And for some people it's not, but if it is, I try to help them to separate the ego from the actual work, like to give up and let go of those things that we think matter because of how other people are going to see us and really get to the heart of the matter of what do you want to leave behind when you're gone and nothing else is left of you, you know, you're in a box or in ashes or whatever, what do you want to leave behind? And a fancy car ain't it. Yeah. I'm just reflecting because uh, a very dear friend of mine recently passed away of cancer. And I think about the legacy that she left through a fabulous at 50 women's movement about mm. women reinventing themselves and still going after those dreams, no matter what your age is. And I think, you know, just like we talk about 
defining our identity based on what we do, I think people also define their identity based on their age. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right with that. It's, um, it's a challenge that a lot of people I, I find, especially because as I get older, a lot of my clients are in my age group or even a bit older. And part of the struggle is that element of like, well, I'm too old for this or who's going to listen to this old person. And so, yeah, that's one of the challenges we certainly need to overcome because I think one of the detriments of society today is that we're losing the wisdom of our elders mm-hmm. because technology is advancing so fast. We're just all focused on the new shiny and we're forgetting the great wisdom of our elders. Yeah. And they talk about, I know in, in businesses, um, corporations, they talk about how they want to integrate, you know, the millennials working with some of the more mature employees because they want to share that wisdom and really I think it also injects the youthfulness into the mature employees to start seeing things from a different perspective. Right. I think there's great value to be had for, for both sides of that equation. Yeah. So when you think of people's mindsets, one of the things that I really like fascinates me is how people, um, when they know that they need to make a change, like they're still getting into that place of awareness. How do you um, move people from that state of awareness to really taking their mindset away from their current circumstance? Because I think, again, like they define themselves by what they do, potentially their age saying, you know, what does a 60 year old do versus what would this executive do? And really corner themselves from really expanding beyond their circumstance. So they have the awareness that change has to happen but they're still stuck in their current circumstance. Yeah. What would be two things that you'd recommend that they do? Uh, I'm glad that you asked two things because it actually works very well into what my answer would be in this situation. And that is essentially one is the carrot and the other is the stick. And essentially what I recommend to people and the reason we get caught in a rut is because there is not a big enough carrot or a big enough stick to influence real change. And so let me use a real world example for that. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, or let me just use myself. If I go to the doctor, the doctor says, uh, Michael, you're overweight by 20 pounds. You really should lose those 20 pounds. And if I say, well, doc, if I don't lose those 20 pounds, what's the repercussion? He's like, eh, you know, you're probably just not going to feel as good. You'll be a little sluggish in the morning and everything. I'm like, oh, okay, whew, great. Okay, well, I'm not going to worry about it then. But if the doctor had said, if you don't lose those 20 pounds, you're going to be dead within two weeks. That is a major stick that's going to get my butt into action to lose that weight. And frequently, we don't have a big enough stick. It's like, yeah, 20 pounds, whatever, or, or carrot. The other part would be the carrot end of it. If, if there was a great reward waiting at the end of me losing those 20 pounds, then that would motivate me. And so the bottom line that I feel keeps people stuck for the most part is there's not something serious enough to get them to take action. Either the pain has not become bad enough or there's not something pleasurable enough on the other side. They've gotten so used to uh, their comfort zone, even if it's not 100% good health or anything else, it's still what they know and then therefore they don't take action. 
And I, I like to look at it like this, that you really change is not going to happen inside that comfort zone. You have to step out of your comfort zone. That's where possibility lives. And, you know, maybe we need to create some artificial carrot and stick to do it. But I think that's going to be a big trick for people. So, Michael, what do you do when you find yourself in discomfort? Part of that comfort zone, you're thinking of taking a leap, you have an opportunity that faces you. What are the things that you consider or how do you handle that? Yeah, well, I literally, I'm, I'm not very risk averse. I've always been a risk taker. So it's not as hard for me, but it's still, I require motivation. And what I'll often do for that motivation, there's an expression of called throwing your hat over the fence. If you're curious about what's on the other side of that fence, but there's really no motivation to go over there and look, well, if your hat's on the other side of the fence, you got to go get it. Okay. And so that can be the motivation. And so often what I'll do for myself is I'll make a commitment to something that now that I've committed to it, and let's use a, a live event as an example. I have a live event coming up, was going to be in May. Now it's going to be September because of all of this uh, pandemic scare. But the point is, is I can commit to that event. I can reach out, contract with the hotel and give them a deposit. I still have not sold a single ticket. I've not done any promo. I haven't done anything else to let me know that that event's going to be successful. But that commitment, that throwing my hat over the fence goes, all right, you're in it now. Do what it takes to make it happen. And so that's what I use to motivate myself. Yeah. It's very true. I like that analogy because you want to go back and get the hat. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But at the same time, you get a taste of what, what is it that I can have that I, and I'm not sure of. It's saying yes to the opportunities that are come to yeah. you. Right? Yeah. And then the rest will fall into place. I, I had an experience years ago where I had committed to do a training program. And part of my commitment was that on the final element of that training program, which took place over three months, I had to complete it in a given date structure. Well, it just so happened that for that particular completion date, it wasn't even happening in the United States. But I was so committed to completing the event that I flew to Australia to do the event down there. And so it's when we have that commitment that really will you know, make us do stuff and stuff occurs uh, that opens doors for us when we have that commitment behind it. I had no idea how I was going to get to Australia or where I was going to stay or how I was going to afford it all, but things just unfolded beautifully for me. And I met with someone who was also in the event who said, Oh yeah, we're happy to put you up while you're down here and turn it into a two week vacation at the same time. So. So what I hear when we talk about commitment is knowing why you want to do something, but not worrying so much about the how, because I feel that people get caught up in the how and because they can't see it, they don't want to take the chance or that, that risk. For you, you're less risk adverse, but for those who are a little bit more risk adverse, we got to think about how do we get them to see what they cannot see, right? Yeah, yeah it's so much of it is a trust factor. And I love that moment in the Indiana Jones movie. I don't remember which of those it was where they stepped off of a ledge trusting that even though they couldn't see a floor, it looked like a, a big precipice. They trusted that where they were stepping off was actually 
going to be the platform to walk across this chasm. And it was all on trust. And I think that's so much of what we need to do is when we trust, the universe responds to that and will supply us the answers and the support that's needed to make it happen. Yeah. And it's funny thing, people think it's about just trusting others and trusting the universe, but what it comes down to is really being able to truly trust ourselves that we'll yeah. have the ability with that uncertainty as things unfold to be able to handle it. Yeah, you're spot on with that, Deborah. I love that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your podcast as well. I know you have a few of them, and I would love <laughs> for our audience to learn more about the podcast that you host. Yeah, so it's really fun for me. My baby, the firstborn, was Consciously Speaking, which I originally launched in 2014 and then relaunched in 2015. And that show's got a couple million downloads and a big following of people in the world of conscious development, uh, spiritual seekers, as I call them. And that show is rewarding for that part of my life. And I also then have a business podcast, which is called Buy This, Not That. And I review technology and training programs for entrepreneurs. My show Something to Wine About, W-I-N-E, is totally for fun. Uh, we just go out and drink wine and interview uh, different wineries. And we just have crazy, wacky conversations while we're drinking wine. And so that's fun. And then my latest one, The PodQuest Show, is the next evolution in my work and my mission. And that show is really designed to help other podcasters to spread their message in a bigger way. It's all about podcast education, how to launch, grow, and monetize. And because my part of my mission is to really help you know, spread a bigger message to the planet, I really love working with heart-centered entrepreneurs to uh, help them grow that platform. Thank you for sharing those. So what makes someone a heart-centered entrepreneur? <laughs> That's a good question. For me, a heart-centered entrepreneur is not coming from the space of what can I get from you? They're coming from the space of service. What can I give to you? And in the giving, of course, a heart-centered entrepreneur knows that rewards will follow, but that's not what they lead with. They lead with how can I be of service, not just to you as the client, but to the planet as well. How can I be of service to the planet? How can the work that I do support all of humanity? And so to me, that's what a heart-centered entrepreneur is. Thank you. So when, when I'm thinking about the different, you know, you talked about having a lot, immersing yourself in education, really learning about your own mindset, doing your own work. I'd love for you to share the importance of doing your own work. Because I know that there's a lot of people who keep thinking, you know, I'll take the next course, the next course, but doing your own work on yourself, um, in your businesses is so, so important. Yeah, I think that if we don't do our own work, then the other work that we do in business isn't going to be effective because the, it's like that expression, wherever you go, there you are. If we still bring all of our own baggage with us into any experience, then the experiences are going to be the same. I use the analogy of uh, in my book, The Art of Forgetting, that it's like if you try to learn something new, but you're trying to learn it over an old pattern that's ingrained in you, it's like writing on a chalkboard that's already filled. There's no room for this new information. It's almost like you need to erase 
some of your old programming to have room for the new. And most of us don't do that work first. We're just constantly looking for what new can I learn? But it's like putting on a coat over a coat that you've already got. And within a week or two, you're going to go, oh my God, this is too hot. And you take off that new coat that you got and discard it. And you're still back to your old self. And so that's to me, the biggest thing is do your work first, clear a lot of your own baggage and your garbage and your limiting beliefs. And then you can take on new education, new training and really advance yourself. Yeah. And that reflection, are you a big fan of journaling? Uh, I am. Yeah. I don't journal very much myself as much as I should. I did for a while, uh, but I'm still a big fan of it for other people too. What was the biggest gain you've gotten from journaling when you do do it? Because I think sometimes we need to be prompted when there's times that we really need to get out of our head. And there's times that, you know, if we hit a slump, you know, writing down things we're grateful for can get us ignited again. Yeah, absolutely. And part of the journaling that I did, I had had this book that's uh, all about what you're grateful for. And you just write down in it three things that I was grateful for. I think what it does and the value of it on multiple levels, if you're journaling properly, I do think there's also a wrong way of journaling. Uh, But if you're journaling properly, I think the value of it is that it's almost like positive affirmation. Mm -hmm. Writing stuff down, especially when it is positive, tends to generate more. It's like what we focus on grows. And that's why I say there is a, a right way to journal. If you're using your journal to just unload crap, you know, it's like a, a dump of all of the misery and the bad stuff. And that tends to be your habit. I think that that's not going to be as effective for you. I think it's going to propagate more of the same instead of really just looking at what am I grateful for and really shift that mindset to bring more positivity into your life. Yeah, I remember um, one of my coaching clients I ended up meeting years prior on an airplane. She was sitting right beside me and we were talking about, she was going one direction, I was going another. And we started talking about journaling and she was talking about how she writes, you know, no matter how day, how her day went, she would write about how she wanted her day to go, even though it had just passed her, but in a new lens. And I think it's so important. And as you said, there is a right way to do it and there's a wrong way. And often, you know, people can get into the venting piece and forget what they're grateful for. And it doesn't change their state at all. Right. right. So um, we're almost at the end of the interview. And I'd like to ask a couple more of these questions that come to me about what is one of the books that has really impacted your life that you would share with others if they were to ask you, what is the first book I should read? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, If they're asking me about a business book, uh, it would be a different answer. I think one of my favorite business books lately has been um, Think Like a Rockstar, which is really about if you're growing a platform and a business to not think of your customers like customers, but if you start to think of them like a rock star, would they think of them as fans and treat them as fans? And I think it's a a major mind shift that's very helpful in the business marketing world. But as far as personal development, I really love uh, the books of Eckhart Tolle. And I think a new earth is fabulous. I think it, it really 
if someone's struggling with ego issues and being trapped by ego, I think it's a great book for that. Excellent. Excellent. So what are three tips of wisdom you would like to depart with our listeners and your view of living rich from the inside out? I think finding our purpose is super important for living rich from the inside out. And that purpose, by the way, it, I, I want to be clear in this because this is so vital, I think, for us to live a fulfilled life. Our purpose does not have to be something that makes money. Your purpose in life may be to be a great father or a great mother. And then the living that, that you do, the job that you take on to make money, that's just a supplement to fulfilling that purpose of being a great parent, if that's what your purpose is. Uh, your purpose may be to share your message with the world. But I think it's so important, whatever it is, to find out what that, that purpose is and then live into that. Let that start to dictate how you shape everything else around it. For me, I found that it's so much more fulfilling and rewarding. And it, it makes me wake up every morning with excitement about what am I going to do today? And while all of this stuff that I have, by the way, with my mission of you know, growing and waking up the planet, my underlying piece behind that is for my son. I do everything that I do, you know, ultimately to, um, to help raise him as a wonderful human being and to support him and what he wants to do in life to give him the, the wings to go out and be his own person in the world too. So that's also super important to me. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So how can people stay in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way is to check it out by watching any of my podcasts or listening to any of my podcasts, but also you can reach out to me at michaelneely.com. And if anybody's interested in the world of podcasting, I've got, you know, free uh, insights and wisdom, different reports and stuff on my website as well. Happy to support people in that. Or if they just want some other form of breakthrough, uh, they can reach out on my website too. Thanks so much. And thank you for being such a phenomenal guest, sharing your wisdom. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes to all the podcasts so that you can check out Michael's podcast. Uh, thank you everyone for coming to the show. We'd also love for you to subscribe and rate and review the Millionaire Woman Show. Go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com and you can download and get your three-part mini course video format and uh, assignments for you to work on so you can develop habits that stick. And as Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Michael and myself, go out and have a fabulous day. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>